We've seen the, the Christmas card. All I want for Christmas is you. Uh, Mariah Carey uh, did a brilliant job. And um, uh, it's a, a great song and a great time of year. But it can feel a bit like this, can't it? Christmas can feel like a, a fast walk with a Christmas trolley. And in the Christmas trolley, you put all the things you need for Christmas, like your food, like your presents, like your relatives. And you might even put in a carol service like this one, all to get ready for Christmas. But like the Christmas card says, one of the things that's really hard to find at Christmas time is a real feeling of being loved. And we're going to learn about a love like this. Because I want you to find a love like this tonight. And we're going to find that love not by going to what we normally do at Christmas, which is go to the start of uh, the Gospels and learn about baby Jesus, we're going to go to the very last book of the Bible. And if you've come here looking for a baby, let me ask you something. Would you be happy if all people saw of you were your baby pictures? You wouldn't, would you? Because there's more to you than baby. And there's more to Jesus than baby. So we're going to look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter um, uh, 5, and uh, I'll do my way back uh, to the reading. Revelation chapter 5 is the last book of the Bible. So it's very easy to find, unless you're Iranian, in which case it's the place where you start. So, Revelation chapter 5, and it's on page 1030. 1030. Okay? Let me pray, then I'll read. Father, we thank you that we get a night like this to find out about real love. We pray that you please help us to understand what that's like that this Christmas might be really different and filled with that joy that Rob is talking about at the start of our service. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is, open, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scroll with its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures... And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing 
as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now we're going to just uh, pause there for a minute while the children go to their little group and then we'll carry on looking at that part of the Bible. Don't shut the book. Great, well, let's get back to that uh, reading and um, uh, look at uh, it again because it is a strange, strange reading, isn't it? You've got a scroll, but no one can open the scroll. And then you're told that a lion can open the scroll, but then next time you look, the lion looks like a lamb that's half dead. And there's a lion, and then you get the little lamb that looks like it's slain. And then you'd expect that to be sadness, wouldn't you? Because the lamb's been slain, but instead you get singing. That's weird, isn't it? It's a strange part of the Bible in one sense to open up and have a look at Christmas time. But the reason we're looking at it, in those three songs that we read in the passage, we're going to see that there is going to be opening up a massive new love in your life. And a love that will make all the difference this Christmas. And to understand that love, I've got to tell you about the future I've got to tell you about the past, then I'll tell you how that fits the present. Okay? You with me so far? Right. <clears throat> you look convincing. <laughs> so let's start with the future, because the last book of the Bible is mapping out the future. That's what it's there to do. And it's important that we get a map of the future, because life can seem a bit aimless, can't it? 
Life can seem a bit messy, frankly. It's a bit like a game of football. You get, you win some, you lose some, you win some a bit more, then you lose, 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 and then it just seems a mess until the final whistle goes, and then you finally know what the end result is. And the Bible is written so that in the middle of the mess, we know what the end of the story will be like. Now, the interesting thing about scrolls is scrolls normally record what's happened in the past. History goes into scrolls, yeah? But here, you've got the future going into a scroll. God can write the future into the scroll as if it was history because he is so much in control of what happens. He can write the future now. And John, the person who's writing this part of the Bible, can see all this happening and he says, great, can't wait to see what the future is. Open the scroll, open the scroll. But no one can be found to open the scroll. And so he bursts into tears in verse 4 because if there's no scroll open, there's no way you can know the future. There's no way you can understand where life is heading. You're just simply there in the mess. And it's just horrible, isn't it, to live in a mess where you just don't know how it's going to pan out and finish. It's a bit like going on a car journey and you don't know where you're going. It's just a pointless life, isn't it? Pointless trip. So the future is written in a scroll. It's just that you can't get to it. Until you go back in the past. This is the second point. And in the past... A senior figure in heaven tells John in verse 5, Weep no more, because you go back to the past. There's a line in the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, in case you haven't heard of David, you've heard of David, haven't you? He's the one who won the fight with Goliath. He's the Jewish king that never lost a single fight in his life. Okay? Uh, he's the winner again and again, and he has conquered someone from, if you can almost put it like this, Royal David City, from his family, has conquered and can open the scroll. And the last book of the Bible is a picture book, and there are these two pictures of Jesus. The lion, the picture of the king, and the lamb, the picture of sacrifice. And there are two different pictures of the Lord Jesus. And it's the Lamb that buys people into his kingdom. If you look at verses 9 and 10, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they should reign on the earth. The big thing that the Lamb does is he dies. You get that again and again. Look at verse 6, and it's there. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain. Catch the same word in verse 9. Have a look. 
Worthy are you to open the scrolls, for you were slain. Catch it again, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Slain, slain, slain. Look, the Bible has got to be brutal and blunt and bloody about all of this. Because we don't just get it. We don't understand how in the Bible, right from the beginning of the Bible, a sacrifice is necessary to put people right with God. So the lamb dies instead of the person who's done wrong in order to be put right with God. Jesus was slain. It's actually there, right at the start of Christmas. Remember the wise men coming? They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why myrrh? Yeah, that's basically funeral fluid. It's what you put on the body to stop it getting whiffy. And right from the start, the wise men said, this baby's going to die. We brought some funeral ointment for him. We've got the myrrh. And Jesus would be killed on a cross. Right from the start of the Bible, it talks about him as the Lamb of God. And he's going to get killed on a cross to ransom, to pay for people. His life is payment so people can be kept safe in his kingdom. That's what Jesus did in the past. Now he can open up the future. So what can our future be like in the present? See in the future, shut book, past opens it. Now what? Well, yes. Now we go into the present. And you want to know how the present can be different? Well, get a hint from heaven. What they're doing there. They sing. That's what they do because of the lamb who was slain. Because they understand more than we do the scale of what happened. They understand why there is a reason to sing. We don't always get the scale of how big this is. Let me tell you about a family holiday. There was once a time when our kids were three and one and we went on a little camping holiday to France. Near the tent was a lake. I was windsurfing in the daytime. Come the evening, I took the uh, mast off. It was nice and quiet, no wind anymore. I put the kids, one on this side, one on this side, one, three, one, uh, age one, and we sailed. We, I just paddled out in the middle of the lake. No life jackets, nothing. And everything was fine. We were chatting and we were pointing out this, that, and I didn't know how they coordinated it. I didn't see any looks go between them. But they just both decided to jump off at the same time. And I looked, and there they were, heading straight down to the bottom. And I just simply jumped off and uh, just put my hands out and managed to get, get one each. And then bringing them up, I swam to the shore and after oh, them it was a great game. They just wanted to go back and do it again. For me, I was shaking. It suddenly hit me, the scale of my stupidity that put my children at risk and the scale of the rescue 
where would I have been without it? And that's exactly what uh, we need to sing at Christmas time. Actually, all it takes is humility. Can you find it in your heart to be humble? Because that is what will help us to understand the scale of our stupidity that puts us so far away from God that God has to do this to bring us back to himself. And the scale of our stupidity and the scale of God's rescue, if only we understand that, that begins to be the key to our singing. And it is interesting to see who heaven is singing to because it is interesting in verse uh, 13, normally you'd expect if people are going to be worshipping anything in heaven, it would be God, right? Only God, no one else. Yet, when you look at verse 13, you see that uh, his, they're worshipping the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. There's no difference between the two. Get the same amount of worship and praise and glory and power and honour and everything else. And that's why you get singing in the angels in that first Christmas story as well. They saw the scale of what God had to do to sort out our situation. So God, who made everything, had to become a human and was born a bit like Rob's garage. Um, Charles will tell you, he used to live there. He's got every single uh, draft uh, blowing through and uh, and uh, grab a seat, uh, blowing through and basically uh, living a life always for other people displaying great love to other people and then when he died on a cross it was because the scale of our stupidity required the scale of that rescue, his life, slain, so we can be brought back and properly belong to God once again. And once we understand that, you begin to get the message of Christmas that, he is, that you are deeply, deeply loved. If you've got our Christmas card, I suggested that uh, at the end you might want to pray the Maria Carey song as a little prayer. All I want for Christmas is you. Talk to God in that kind of way. But actually, it's even more amazing than that. It's like God is singing the Maria Carey song, saying, all I want for Christmas is you. It's not that God needs your love. It's not like he's lonely and that would help. But it's so that because God is so much love himself that he can take people who don't love him and love them. That's the message of Christmas. So what should we do about it? Well, what's the worst thing you can do at Christmas? <clears throat> the worst thing we can do at Christmas, if I could put it like this, is the opposite of heaven. And that is to wheel our little Christmas trolley 
and fill it with stuff that heaven does not sing about. Now, can you just imagine cleaning up your Christmas trolley with your food and your uh, presents and uh, your relatives and everything else, and then wheeling it into this scene in heaven where everybody is singing praise and glory and honour and power, filled with love towards the Lord Jesus who has loved us so much. Can you just imagine going in and showing what you think is important? More than you realise that God's love for you is important. My friend, that's what's going to happen one day. You will be going into, heaven, into, into the presence of God. And it won't be a matter of, you know, have you done this good and that bad? It is entirely, how did you react? How did you respond to my son and his love for you? That's what the future question will be about when you meet the one that's on the throne. And I would want to suggest to you, if you've never done it before, Ask God this Christmas time to help you to really take in Jesus' love for you. I suppose in another way, to teach you how to sing. How he has loved you so much that he has brought a new future for you in his kingdom. And he's taken the scale of your stupidity and met it with the scale of his rescue. Would you be humble and see it like that and take in God's love? It's not automatically for everybody. It is for those who with that humility will say, teach me to take in your love that I don't deserve. That would be a great thing to do for Christmas. The worst thing is to do the opposite of what the angels do, which is, to just simply fill your Christmas trolley with other stuff. What about if you've been around church before? Well, in some ways, we can kind of enjoy the singing, can't we? We can say angels sing, church sings, yeah, I love the cows, uh, different songs, they've got a nice rhythm, beat, and everything else. And church can be a kind of a little, you know, get happy moment. And you just come and do that and you go home again and back to the shopping trolley with everything else in it. It is easy, isn't it, how Sunday, our Christianity can be just a Sunday thing and a Sunday sing thing for, for many. The question is not, do we like to sing? The question is, do we really love the person we're singing about deeply? Understanding like I just said, the scale of our stupidity, the scale of his rescue and love for us. What happens if uh, you're someone who is a Christian, you get that Jesus loves you, but it's just hard to take in the scale of it so it gets to be more theory than it is truth. Can I just give you one word to remember and hold on to this Christmas? That's the word that you get again and again and again in verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 12, and that is the lamb who was slain. He is worthy of your love because he was slain for you. 
the depth of his love for you. That makes him more worthy of praise and love and worship than anyone else who's been around. And more than anyone else in our lives. Yeah, this world is a mess. And our lives can feel like they are a mess. But there is a scroll that's been written. The future is already charted and planned. And there is a new future in front of anyone who holds on to and trusts and loves the past sacrifice the Lord Jesus made when he died on the cross. And we, therefore, this Christmas and in the new year, can live our lives loving him because of his love for us. That is the deep love that the Bible invites us into. To know the security of a huge love that God has for us and the opportunity we have to respond by loving him. I don't know if you really feel loved. I don't know if you really love. But that is the new world that the Bible opens up to us at Christmas. But not just at Christmas. See, see life through from a baby Jesus to all that he did when he became the lamb who was slain just because he loves you. Hold on to that and love him and live as an obedient servant of his in his kingdom because you love him. Let's pray that God will help us do that and um, we'll pray. Why don't I keep a minute of quiet and you, you talk to God the way you want to talk to God after what you've just heard. Let me pray for all of us. We thank you, Father, for this amazing truth that in the heart of heaven there is great humility, that there is a king, a lion, but pictured as a lamb because he would humbly serve and give his life even for us with the scale of our stupidity needing that kind of rescue Father please would you help us not to wander around this Christmas with a supermarket trolley of other stuff Please help us to hold on to that great truth that you were slain for us, that we might understand the depth of your uh, eternal love and that our lives may be made more joyful and that we might sing because we love you for the way that you have given yourself for us. Please, would you bring these emotions into our hearts, into our lives, into our obedience this Christmas 
and in the new year as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.